Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Wednesday, April 3rd. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about Facebook's new policy change to treat white nationalism and white separatism the same as white supremacy. Last year, Motherboard broke a story that found that while Facebook banned white supremacy on its platform, it explicitly allowed white nationalism and white separatism. After this investigation and significant backlash from civil rights groups and historians, Facebook has just now decided to officially ban white nationalism and white separatism in an acknowledgement that there is no meaningful distinction between these three ideologies. This is a major policy shift for Facebook, and it highlights the malleable nature of the company's policies, which govern the speech of more than 2 billion users worldwide. So today, we've got Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler and Motherboard Reporter Joseph Cox in the studio with us on the story. Hi, guys. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joseph. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. So, you guys, let's start with your reporting from last year, where you found that while Facebook banned white supremacist content, it actually explicitly allowed for white nationalist and white separatist content. You broke this story. So tell us about that investigation and what Facebook's argument was for that initial distinction. So last year, we got a series of documents from inside Facebook, which detailed in really on a granular level what content moderators have to look for and what they have to do and the policies around very particular pieces of content. And this is, of course, stuff that is not public. Um, And included in that were lots of various things that we started going through, how Facebook handles dick pics, for example, and then some Instagram stuff around how the company describes content moderation issues as PR fires. Also in that was a series of documents that the company made after Charlottesville which of course was the white supremacist rally in 2017. After that, Facebook tried to clarify its position on white supremacy and other related ideologies. And this is where they said that, yeah, we will ban supremacy, but we will allow separatism and nationalism. And the reason was that the Facebook provided was that nationalism or white nationalism isn't always explicitly racist. And I do believe they also... um, included definitions of these ideologies from Wikipedia. So it wasn't exactly the most heavily researched position and, of course, highly controversial because if you speak to the vast majority of race experts, black history experts, civil rights groups, they will say that these ideologies are essentially one and the same thing or two faces of the same coin. So after we publish that, there is this civil rights backlash from various different groups. So about a year later... 
we see that Facebook has actually changed this policy and they have banned white nationalism and white separatism in addition to already having banned white supremacist content. But I guess the question for me is, why did it take so long? After we initially published these documents that showed that Facebook had this policy against white supremacy, but not against white nationalism and white separatism, we actually wanted to do a deeper investigative feature about how Facebook makes these policies. So I went out to Menlo Park, where Facebook's headquarters is, and I met with their policy team. And every Tuesday, or twice a month, I believe, on Tuesdays, they invite their policy team from all over the world to discuss issues that come up on the platform. So one week it might be white supremacy, white nationalism, white separatism. Another week it might be eating disorders. Another week it might be suicide and self-harm. And another week it might be terrorism. And they call this the Content Standards Forum. And they basically have a bunch of different teams, policy experts, people who have worked on different subject matter, people who have policy backgrounds in Congress or local government or have worked at nonprofits. And they basically convene and form what I would call like a task force on a certain issue. They go out and they talk to external experts about you know what a policy should be so in this case you know they talk to civil rights experts they talk to academics they talk to free speech groups and they come back and decide what the policy should be it sounds like it shouldn't take that long but facebook is a massive platform that has more than two billion users and they don't want to have to change their policies constantly and they also want to be able to make policies that can apply globally across the entire platform what we learned is that Facebook wants to allow separatism and nationalism when it applies to things like the Basque movement or black nationalists in certain countries, different groups that have maybe not been tied as closely to racial subjugation as the white supremacist, white nationalist movement has been. So that's how Facebook ended up with this bad policy that was allowed white nationalism the same way that it allows Basque separatism or a different separatist movement. And the reason that it takes so long is because Facebook wants to make sure that it nails this policy, but because they are making these policies that have to encompass the entire world, have to encompass anything that anyone might possibly say, it takes them months and months and months. So we know that Facebook has been working on this policy change for at least four or five months. We reported back at the end of last year that Facebook was considering a change here, that they were consulting with external groups, but they didn't actually announce it until now. And that, that's one of the pieces of criticism that we actually heard was, why did it take so long? And the reason that Facebook wants to have these global policies, even though you know there are plenty of countries in the world that may treat certain subjects differently, is because they want their moderation to be consistent. They want any moderator to see a piece of content from any country, from any contractor or internal or whatever it may be, see that piece of content and all make the same decision. Now, you could argue that maybe it's more appropriate to allow certain white nationalism in certain countries and then maybe not elsewhere. I mean, that's a hypothetical example. But of course, when you're a global company, you still do have a lot of color and a lot of richness and a lot of diversity, obviously, in your audiences. But Facebook is trying to make it across the board, which is certainly a challenge. Yeah. So... When talking about keeping their moderation consistent, I'm curious about them saying that this policy is only for very explicit signs of support or praise for 
white separatism, white nationalism, and white supremacy. Obviously, it's harder to moderate these more implicit versions of this, but what? how are they making that distinction between what is explicit and more implicit, and then also sort of how are they talking about that element of the policy? So an explicit example of the sort of material that now they're now going to ban from white nationalists would be something as simple as, I am a proud white nationalist, or there is so much immigration in my country, white separatism is the only answer, obviously for something they were banned under white separatism. It can be quite difficult to figure out what is explicit and what's implicit. I mean, you will have code words that these people will use inevitably in maybe four, five, six months. There'll be a whole new set of code words, which we can't even imagine yet. And they will conjure up from these communities and then bubble up to the surface. And these platforms then have to deal with them. We may not even know what those are yet. And of course, that is the challenge with these platforms, that even though they try to have these global policies, the enforcement and the implementation of that may mutate even faster. As in, well, now there's this new phrase that we now have to deal with. Even if we ban white nationalism, we now have to figure out, well, that now counts as white nationalism. And that can be exceptionally difficult. Right. And this is something that comes up all the time among civil rights groups where they say a lot of white nationalism online is coded. And if Facebook is not able to detect and remove that, then what good is this ban going to do? I think that the groups that we talked to are glad that Facebook took this very basic step of banning explicit praise and representation of white nationalism, white separatism. But they are concerned that it will will just see more coded language online. And I think that Ultimately, Facebook said one of the reasons that it's not banning implicit white nationalism at the moment is because it can't always detect it. And one moderator might have a different vision of what white separatism looks like than, than another moderator, and they want to make sure that their enforcement is consistent across the board. That's the argument that they make. I don't know that I agree with it, but it's, it's an important distinction. I mean, just as an example of a code word that's been around recently, and of course, this is I'm not linking it to white nationalism or anything like that, but just to give an idea of how hard the challenge can be, there is, of course, that meme where people will tweet at journalists, learn to code, something like that. That by itself is totally innocuous. It doesn't seem like harassing behavior or a piece of harassment content, but in the context of how it's delivered implicitly, that can be a troubling piece of content. And then, of course, Twitter did start banning people who did that. So that is the sort of problem and the mutation of language that Facebook is going to um, encounter with this policy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think one of the most interesting parts of this story is what Facebook is saying will happen to people who do try to post white separatist or white nationalist content. So what happens when someone posts that content and then it gets moderated? Right. So if you try to post white nationalist or white supremacist or white separatist content, Facebook will have a pop-up that shows up that directs people to this group called Life After Hate, which is an organization founded by ex-white supremacists who are now focused on getting people to leave hateful movements. This will also show up if you search for things. It was kind of crazy. Like on the Facebook announcement post, the example they gave was someone searching for Heil Hitler was sent to this group. And it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure how effective this will be. I think it's a it's something that we haven't really seen Facebook do before when it comes to hate. Uh, they've had things like if you posted suicidal content uh, or self-harm content, you might get redirected to mental health services, but we haven't seen this with a hate group. And it's almost like 
the analogy I've been making like at the bar is like Clippy, the little Microsoft Word paperclip is like, are you sure you want to be like a white nationalist? <laughs> are you sure you want to post this content? And that's, it's a little bit like jokey, but I mean, that's kind of what they're doing. And it remains to be seen if it'll be effective at all. Yeah, it's not clear how effective it's going to be or whether people will click it, because at least by the mock-up given in that Facebook announcement, it was something like just a little button that says, learn more. If you're searching for white separatist or nationalist content, you may not be particularly interested in learning more. But it is a very novel approach, and it's just interesting that they're at least trying something in this area which isn't simply just banning accounts. It's actually redirecting people. And it could turn out to be very novel. We just don't know yet. It also, it strikes me as being more intrusive than anything Facebook has tried before, which I don't think is a bad thing because I think that this content probably shouldn't be allowed on Facebook. But it is, you know, there has been a little bit of conservative backlash to this decision. And I think there is maybe some concern that Facebook is going to start becoming the thought police and preventing people proactively from posting things. And I don't think that the slippery slope argument applies here necessarily, but I think it is something to keep an eye on as this rolls out. Yeah. And I'm curious behind the scenes, like we talked a little bit about how Facebook moderates its content, but what's the role of actual human moderators and then algorithms and kind of, you know, computer systems, machine learning that's sifting through these different kinds of content? So when it comes to artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, and this is quite general on the platforms now, this is even like YouTube and perhaps Twitter and certainly Facebook as well, when there's Islamic State content or other jihadi movements, the algorithms can surface that content, so discover it in the first place, and then in some instances, obviously depending on the platform and the piece of content, proactively block it. So just as a hypothetical example, maybe they detect an ISIS flag, which can be something that's very, very distinct, and they could block that before it's uploaded. But let's say artificial intelligence surfaces a piece of content, that could then go to a human moderator who then still makes the decision. And as we've seen, in, I think, in the piece from The Verge, where these people in America are under an exceptional amount of stress to make a decision within something like 30 seconds, where they see this content and they have to get it right. And from our sources that we've spoken to, if they fall under something ridiculous, like 98, 96, 95%, they can get disciplined and they can get fired. So it's an exceptionally stressful job, even if there is still that role of artificial intelligence somewhat. And Facebook told us and then said in their announcement as well that they are going to be continuing to push out these algorithmic tools and developing them for hateful content, so the white nationalism and the separatism, that sort of thing, even if it's already being used for ISIS content. There is going to be an expansion of that across Facebook and across the platforms more generally as well. Interesting. So lastly, I just want to talk about implementation and enforcement, because obviously we know that policies are only as good as how they're enforced or implemented. So knowing what you know about kind of Facebook's history and how they moderate, how do you predict that Facebook is going to do with this new policy? I think that being outside the company and not seeing what's posted on Facebook, it's honestly impossible for us to say. You know, Facebook moderates millions upon millions of posts every single day. And if you go to Facebook, like as a normal user, you don't see child porn, you don't see ISIS content. Like Facebook does a pretty good job of removing that sort of stuff. 
hate speech is more difficult. And I think that, you know, this line between white nationalism, coded versus explicit, I don't know that they're going to do a great job on this. I think that it will be tough to say as someone who doesn't have access to Facebook's back end or access to Facebook's numbers to say whether they're doing a good job or not. I think that, you know, in the aftermath of the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand last month, Facebook did remove thousands and thousands of people who were trying to upload the Christchurch shooters live stream of that. Is that a good thing that Facebook was able to remove it? I don't know, because there were thousands of copies that stayed up for a long time. So I think it's very hard to say what success is. And I think it's hard to say what success is when it involves something that is so often tied to real life violence. I mean, if Facebook radicalizes someone and then Facebook, you know, they're posting white nationalist content, Facebook doesn't catch it. One person who commits a mass murder somewhere, like that's a failure. And I think that there probably will be another one sometime and it will be someone who used Facebook. And I don't know that we're going to be in a position to judge whether it's successful or not. And that's an upsetting thing. Yeah, without the data, it's going to be really hard to tell, if not impossible, how effective this policy has actually been. But as we've seen with ISIS and other content that's banned from platform as well, I do think apprehensively, cautiously, that Facebook will generally be quite good at removing this content, but there will still be examples of, well, there's still this white nationalist group on here. Hey, there's this page that belongs to this prominent person. There are always these examples and journalists will find them and they will report them. The only danger there is that it could put it out of proportion when Facebook may actually do a good job elsewhere on the platform. Well, thank you guys so much. You guys are doing really amazing reporting, and I hope to see you soon on the podcast to hear your next breaking story. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to check out Jason and Joseph's full reporting at motherboard.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.